welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday Deep Dive episode with Brad Freeman joining us as always. This is the seventh episode with Brad. So we're going to get right into the routine here. We're talking for Sarah today, but Brad, how are you feeling? Uh, uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, feeling pretty good. Um, fair warning. I got my first Moderna vaccine yesterday, so I am a little tired. Uh, so if if I'm a little, or if I seem a little foggy, that is why, but We'll, we'll, we'll do our best and I'm, I'll yeah. get through it. <laughs> yeah, no one. Uh, yeah, we cut us some slack on this episode uh, if if we're not bringing the enthusiasm. Well, I'm but, fine, but yeah. Brett had a few beers last night. Yeah, so, so uh, again, looks, I'm feeling looks like, like, like I'm I have to piggyback or uh, carry the team. I have the, yeah, I had the natural vaccine last night, but <laughs> uh, we're talking Coursera, but we got to talk about our partner, uh, potential multi-baggers first, our partner for the Sunday episode. Ryan, do you want to discuss what they do? Yeah. So if you don't know him, his name is Chris. Uh, it's at, what's his app? From like, Growth from, to Value. I think it might just be From Value. But anyway, uh, yes, um, at his from service, value, yeah. it's a Seeking Alpha service, uh, potential multi-baggers, and his track record is probably one of the best we've ever seen. Uh, I think I went through a bunch of the winners that he picked recently, but you know, I think Shopify, Okta. And it's uh, concentrated, so it's C not like, limited. It's not like he's thrown out to everyone you know yeah. these aren't it's not just oh i picked these 300 and three of them ended up good There's like 25 and most of them have been phenomenal yes and they're looking he's looking for what 10x in 10 years that's the goal that's the that's the kind of the framework they look at it for yeah and they're big on buy and verify so they want to track what you're doing over time they have a community over there they have weekly um write-ups i would call it as well so you just get a lot of analysis he's not just out there telling you to buy something and then ignoring it, they are doing constant analysis and communication with the team to help you with your research. It's also more communal. It's not just like you're reading seek- Seeking Alpha articles. It's more communal. Yes, kind of it's, it's not. Interact yeah. with them. Yes, through Seeking Alpha. Yeah, it's through Seeking Alpha, but it's with Chris. It's not like it's, they're really not, you know, that's just where he hosts his stuff. But we'll, if you want- uh, we'll drop a link in the, in the description here and uh, feel free to check it out. Uh, potential multi-baggers, just Google it. Yeah, if you want to become a multi, as they call them, yeah, you can Google it or find them on Twitter at FromValue is the correct handle. All right, enough with that. Coursera. Coursera. Ryan, you want to introduce the company? Yeah, so I kind of went and made my own account to describe what they do. But before we get into that, I'll give you the mission. Uh, First of all, if you're reading the S1, it starts with a poem. Great. uh, Red flag. (laughs) Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. It was nice. No, I mean, their mission, when you actually think about, okay, so they said our mission is to provide universal access to world-class learning so that anyone anywhere has the power to transform their life through learning. Yeah, that is, that, it's a, they're doing a good thing. So maybe the yeah. poem was nice. It was just kind of randomly placed at the front of the one. <laughs> yeah, maybe put it on your website, not, in the, not on the financial documents. A little bit of a waste there. Yeah, but so Coursera is a platform that connects learners, educators, and institutions all in one. So Coursera partners with educational institutions to create courses and well there's different uh sort of variations of these courses but it's basically just educational content and then learners come to coursera i think it's coursera.org um 
they make an account and then they choose whatever they whatever it is they want to learn, whether they were tasked with doing it from like an employer or something like that, or they're just really want to learn machine learning or something like that, or they're just trying yeah. to upgrade their skills, whatever it is. They have guided projects, courses, specializations, certificates, and they have full blown degrees that you can get online. Um, and some of them were impressive. The University of Illinois was one where they had an MBA, you could get through them. Uh, but anyway, I'll go through my sort of experience with them. I made an account. I went and hit the explore button and they give you a range of fields. So there's business, arts and humanities, computer science, data science, information technology, health, math and logic, personal development, physical science and engineering, social science and language. So plenty of fields. Um, and so naturally I clicked on business as uh, you know, since that's kind of what we talk about here. And they gave a bunch of subcategories. So it's leadership and management, finance, marketing, all that kind of stuff. And I chose finance. Um, and so then they offer you either an MBA from the University of Illinois, or then they have a whole bunch of certificates or courses or guided projects um, that you can pick from, sort of like pay per course kind of thing. And so uh, one of the ones I clicked, there was a uh, business and financial modeling specialization that's offered from Wharton. So I'm trying to give you an idea of the kind of material you're getting on here. It's five courses, takes about six months to complete. It can be anywhere from $39 a month to $99 a month. You're working with Wharton professors. Um, it's some courses are synchronous, some are asynchronous. So some are where you can kind of interact with an actual teacher and then some are just like recorded lectures. Um, but it's, it's basically this huge catalog of high quality educational content um, but Coursera also sells to businesses or enterprise organizations, not just individuals. Um, and I think they, I think 25% of Fortune 500 companies use Coursera. Um, so if you think about it from the company's point of view, if you need something to get done, you can either hire a new employee, which costs money to onboard people, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you got to go find them as well. Or you can just retrain an existing employee to have that skill. That's where you, businesses would kind of hire their employees to take a Coursera course. And then for degrees, revenue generation is kind of a bit like upstart. So once the degree goes live on Coursera's platform and a university decides to admit the student because they still have to admit them for the degree, right? Uh, then they get a percentage fee based on how much that student spends on tuition during a certain period. So that's kind of how they recognize money, recognize revenue. Uh, I'll get into the history though. They were incorporated in Delaware in 2011 as every company is. Um, and the platform launched in 2012. The founders were Andrew... NG. I'm just going to say NG. Yeah, Sorry if I'm Ng. saying that wrong. I'd say Ng. Ng sounds right. Ng. Ng. Yeah. It's spelled NG. Yeah. So I'm just going to, okay. Anyway, uh, and, and Daphne Kohler. So they were two computer science professors at Stanford. Um, and they originally started by just putting their courses online. But afterwards, that was sort of the epiphany that they had. Like this could be a real business. And so they started Coursera. Um, the first schools to sign on were Stanford, Princeton, University of Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania and University of Michigan. Shout out, Brad. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, but they uh, raised a $16 million round led by Kleiner Perkins and New Enterprise Associates in 2013. And the company just IPO'd less than a month old. I don't think they've even had a single quarterly earnings report yet. So no, no, no. All right. All rush to the public markets. Yeah. I'll hit industry and landscape here. Pretty easy to go over. Education, trillion dollar industry. I mean, really going after a large market opportunity here. Nothing to be concerned about of this being too niche, you'd actually maybe just be concerned that it's too broad. 
in all honesty. Cheap on an EV to TAM. Yeah, EV to TAM is phenomenally cheaper. But uh, some of the numbers I saw is expected to hit $7 trillion in spending globally by 2025. But those are just estimates that feels a bit high. I, it was as low as a trillion and uh, up to $7 trillion, So wide range, but it's large. Um, less than 4% of education spend currently goes to technology or internet solutions. Now, you know, uh, Coursera gets called tech, but in reality, it's not really tech. I don't think it's just internet. It, they're not doing anything. They didn't no, invent anything here. They're just kind of trying to build a marketplace. Um, it's like YouTube but on steroids. Sorry? It's like YouTube on steroids, kind of. Yes. Yeah. The uh, And, you know, the 4% spend, though, I thought was interesting where that transition, I don't know if it ever, ever will occur where, you know, a lot of industries, it's, I don't know, spent on internet and tech solutions is like 20, 30% spend or something like that. In education, it's super low now. So, there may be an opportunity, but they're also that also may be low for a reason. You know, I don't know. There could be things. We'll probably get into that on the second half of the show. And then they have a few competitors, actually a lot of competitors, Pluralsight, 360 Training. Um, even the universities themselves are technically the competitors. Sometimes they're kind of frenemies. Um, 2U is a different model, but they're similar as well. edX. There's YouTube so many to an extent, but yeah, there's, there's, there's like free uh, Khan Academy. But the thing with those, it's a little hard to track. Like YouTube, you're not really tracking progress. You're, there's no brand and certification. On that. Yeah, so right. That's the whole. That's the whole point. But uh, Brad, you want to talk management and ownership? Yeah. Uh, so Andrew Ng, we're going with Ng. He was one of the co-founders along with Daphne Kohler, who's not super involved anymore. But Andrew still serves as the chairman of the board and he was the CEO until 2014. He was the former chief scientist at Baidu, uh, really? founding lead of the Google Brain team. Uh, as Ryan said, Stanford community or computer science professor. Um, it's the current CEO of landing.ai, which helps companies adopt AI applications sort of similar to a C3.ai or maybe a Palantir. Um, and he's an MIT and Carnegie Mellon grad. So quite the impressive background. Uh, the current CEO is Jeff Maggioncalda, or Maggioncalda, that's probably how you say it. Uh, he has been the president and CEO since June 2017. He was previous, previously the CEO of Financial Engines, which was which is a NASDAQ-listed financial services company. Um, he did that for almost two decades. Uh, and he was a Silicon, or he is a Silicon Valley bank director since 2012. Uh, Kenneth Hahn is the CFO since May 2020. He was the previous CFO at Collective Health, which is a private healthcare software as a service company. And before that, he was the CFO of a company called iControl Networks, which was purchased by Comcast. Um, he's been the CFO of Quinn Street, Borland Software, and Extensity, which are all small public companies. Um, Kimberly Caldbeck has been the chief marketing officer since 2018. She was with Facebook when they when she actually launched many of their first consumer marketing campaigns. So. Um, impressive fun fact there. Um, and yeah, pretty, pretty impressive leadership team. But in terms of, in terms of ownership, uh, similarly to last week when we did Olo, this is a very newly public company. So our data is kind of listed as before the offering from S1. So take this with a grain of salt because it could change uh, when things shake out and they start releasing their audited post IPO uh, financials. So a firm called New Enterprise Associates owns about 18.3%. Um, the directors for that, the one, one of them is listed as Scott Sandell, and he's also a, a Coursera board of director. Um, he's also, and he's also the general partner of this VC firm called New Enterprise Associates. 
Uh, he's also, <laughs> a lot of things to say about him, an independent director at Cloudflare, so a very popular company among the financial Twitter community, and Bloom Energy, um, a little less popular. Uh, yeah, entities affiliated with firms called G Squared and KPCB Holdings own about 25% of the float. Uh, the C- Sorry, yeah, go ahead. KC, uh, KPCB, that's Kleiner Perkins. So the, they were the ones that raised One of that, the initial VCs. That was one yeah. of the ones in 2013. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Um, the current CEO, Magium Calda, owns 3.5%, and Ander Ng owns about 7.8%. Um, they, they, they broke it down. Uh, they kind of summed up all the ownership, which I found nice. All current executive officers and directors own about 40% of the float. Um, and again, this could change as as the IPO has happened and, and as we get new audited financials. All right. I'll hit valuation quick. Going to be simple because this one's, you know, it's unprofitable. So we really only have a few metrics here, but the market cap is $6.22 billion, ticker is C-O-U-R. Pretty easy one to remember. Price to sales right now is around 21. I think it's a little bit higher from that uh, market cap there. And then price to gross profit is around 40. So they have solid gross margins, but they're not the insanely high ones as other internet marketplaces kind of have. Um, they're unprofitable, so no metrics there, but pretty close to break even, which Ryan will probably get into. And you probably wanna watch out for the share counts as always over the next few years, since this is an IPO. Um, oh, you know, it, that, that can just be more of a dynamic situation, right, when a company goes public and you don't want to confuse yourself into thinking the market cap's like 20% smaller than it actually is. Yeah, and I'll just, tail right into earnings then they have 200 million 294 million in revenue in 2020 and that was growing 59 percent year over year uh 66 of that came from consumer revenue 24 percent came from enterprise and 10 percent came from degrees so if you're wondering uh like what makes up the most uh it's really that consumer revenue whereas if you look at plural site uh, I believe a lot more of their revenue comes from the enterprise solution so they're more of a competitor with the business side uh, they had 53% gross margins. Uh, operating cash flow was negative, about negative 15 million in operating cash losses. Their gap net margins were negative 23%, slightly better than the year prior, uh, but still gap unprofitable. I mean, they've only been a public, well, they've only been a public company for a very short time, but they've only been a company for, gosh, eight years now. Yeah, under 10, yeah. Um, so still young. Uh, they had, as far as non-financial metrics that they show, they have 77 million registered learners on the platform. So I think, I, I could be wrong on this, I'm pretty sure they are the largest learning platform for individuals. Um, and that registered learner number was up 65% year over year. The number of students getting full online degrees was up 91% year over year for the fourth quarter. Um, they had 387 paid enterprise customers up 61%. Their net revenue retention rate among those enterprise customers was 114%. So all in all, pretty good earnings. Uh, they've obviously poured a lot into the income statement. Um, they're spending a lot on sales and marketing, trying to get sort of enterprises to sign on. Um, and just trying to get their get awareness out there of their platform. Yeah, and then the that Coursera for campus stuff, it makes sense that it's only a small part because they just launched that in 2019. So it's still a pretty early thing. That could, you know, it's kind of impressive that it's already 10%. Um, the degrees. The Coursera. degree, that's what, it, that's what yeah, Coursera yeah. for campus. It, it's think, really recent. I think right now they only offer 24, 24 different degrees right now. Yeah. Uh, which... I mean, that's not too small, but uh, it's not a huge selection. Yeah. All right, Brad, you want to do balance sheet before we wrap up the first half? 
Yeah. So before the uh, or before the listing, they had about eighty million in cash, and they raised roughly half a billion dollars from that. Uh, it also has another two hundred million in marketable securities, which consists of um, AAA rated corporate debt and treasury bills. So that was pretty interesting to see that out of a of a new newly public company. Um, kind of reminds me of an Apple. <laughs> um, but yeah. So the business funding has come from preferred stock. Our convertible preferred stock, not debt to the balance sheet, does look pretty strong at, at this point in time. They had a $12,000 interest expense in 2020. So, I mean, peanuts. Um, and as, as all S1s do, uh, they hinted at taking on debt in the future. So, uh, like, we'll keep an eye on share count. We will also be keeping an eye on debt issuance. Yeah, that is something to worry about where they probably won't, they probably won't do debt, but the share count definitely... Yeah, you could see that growing at a significant pace, especially as they have these large losses where they may have to do follow-on offerings since they still are in that yeah. growth mode. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if they indicated when they are going to try to be profitable, uh, but since they're going after such a large market opportunity, you could argue they're kind of in one of those situations where you might have to just bite the bullet and just you know be yeah. expecting some share, share dilution. I mean, it's yeah. not necessarily, you know, they can kind of leverage this 20 times sales valuation yeah. into helping them pour money through the income statement. Um, and I'd much rather see them do that than take on new debt given the current valuation. Uh, but yeah, they are losing about $60 million a year right now, I think is what it was, maybe it was 66 million. But like Brad said, it sounds like they have more than enough liquidity to have a few years of burn rate. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, let's take a break and then we're gonna hit the second half of the show. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back. Next up is competitive advantages. Brad, kick things off. What do you have? This So my competitive advantage is sort of similar to that competitive advantage I had last week, for those of you who listened to our Olo episode. So... To me, in this value chain, in the supply chain, the universities are are the most valuable brands, are, are the most um, are, are the most formidable um, player in the field. So, by Coursera deciding to build courses, branded courses for University of Michigan, go blue, for University of Penn, and, and for all of these really established, um, well-known, world-renowned universities, I think is a very is a, is a very sticky moat that they're currently building. And if they can continue to develop these relationships with um, with all these elite universities, like Olo developed all these relationships with these gigantic restaurant chains, I think that could be a really um, valuable moat going forward. Kind of, uh, kind of pumping your own university there. As, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, maybe I mean, maybe University of Michigan is the buy, not Coursera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll get yeah, I should say the other thing is like, other than... The, U, the federal government, there are really not many stronger financial clients than a university. I mean, this is a, like in terms of pocketbooks, they, these guys all have incredibly gigantic endowments and, and just, yeah, very credit worthy clients. And it's strange because the opportunity is coming for this because they're such a profitable, 
you know, business because they've been, you know, raising prices at a, a really high rate. And it's weird that uh, it just feels like there's some conflicts of interest with Coursera. Maybe we'll all get into that later, but it's just tough to, there's some things that are just the, the, these relationships, like eh, you got to talk with the universities. Eh, I don't know. It's tough. No, it's just another revenue source for them. Yeah, I know, but should, go ahead, Brad. And I should say I've taken, I've taken two courses through Coursera. I took like a, the, the basics of financial accounting and I took a finance course because as an undergrad student, I had very little like stock market and financial background. And then I went to a, a grad school program, which is pure finance. Um, right. So, so it was really, it was really nice for me to kind of take a branded course with the school that I was going to go take my, my master's program with, um, with, with the same professors and teachers. I don't know. It just, it, it was a really interesting value creation um, thing for me. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Ryan, what do you Yeah. Have? My competitive advantage is scale. Uh, so I believe, and like I said earlier, it's a little difficult to tell given that so many of these learning online learning platforms are private, especially yeah. the ones that cater primarily to consumers. So edX is probably their biggest competitor, I believe. And they have like 20, 20 to 30 million uh, registered learners on the platform. Uh, but Coursera has, like I said, 77 million. Um, and so if colleges want to provide courses or flexibility to uh, like the most amount of students that they can, Coursera is the place to do it. And they kind of have that advantage. The other thing is it's another way to add students without admitting them to your school. So you can get money if you're University of Michigan and you uh, supply a guided course or whatever, uh, you get a percentage fee from that revenue that's generated. And Coursera does sort of the customer acquisition, if you will. Um, so it's just revenue on top of courses you're already sort of doing, especially if it's asynchronous. Yeah, that all makes sense. That all makes sense for sure. Right. I, uh, I had network effects possibly. Um, you know, this seems like a classic marketplace dynamic where you get all the professors and brands on Coursera, then the demand will come. Um, I know that's kind of just, it's a, oh, what was I going to say? Everyone talks about these marketplace dynamics aggregate supply, aggregate demand. Uh, but the thing is, is because it can be powerful and lead to competitive advantage. So yeah, I mean, if they get all, and this is another way to describe scale too, if they get all the professors and brands on there and if they're potentially exclusive and that's the only place where you can get them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where the opportunity will arise. I do still have questions about who's providing the value is Coursera providing the value or is it these brands? I don't know. That feels like a long-term concern for me, but yeah, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, so, I mean, this kind of tails into my growth opportunity, but the way that the cost structure work is, works is a bit like Spotify. So the brands have the courses and Coursera is the platform that's licensing yeah. these courses. And they give, I believe, 37, maybe 38% of the revenue that from the courses to the universities. And they take, that's why you see that gross margin percentage. It's, it's kind of like how yeah. Spotify is giving the licensing revenue or a portion of the re subscription revenue based on streams or whatever yeah. to the rights holders. It's very similar to that, um, which I'm going to, I'm going to supersede Brad here and take the first future growth opportunity, which oh, is it's uh, originals and exclusives. So I know that sounds like Spotify or Netflix, but when you think about the Netflix model, they were able to aggregate demand by licensing a bunch of content. And then they were able to bolt on the higher margin stuff by making it the originals. 
So if Coursera can develop their own original courses and have a full catalog of that kind of stuff, it can be super valuable. Um, I think they're already doing this. Um, I know it was started like that because the comp sci professors, Andrew Ying and uh, what, uh, what's her name? Kohler. I think it's uh, Daphne yeah. Kohler. Um, it was their courses to begin with. So if they can keep them in-house um, while also having the other ones, it would just help a little bit with operating leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Again, again, it's just, there's a lot of questions to be answered there, how that will work, but that definitely is something they probably are thinking about. Um, but it is a weird dynamic because you don't want to anger your partners, a classic, just like, you know, the Netflix situation, angering their, their licensing partners where they're promoting just the original content. But Brad, Brad, what do you have, um, for your future growth opportunity? Yeah. I'll just add that kind of sounds to me before I talk about the opportunity, it sounds like almost, is it masterclass? Is that what it's called? Like the service? Yeah. That's a competitor too. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that would be a really interesting company for them to maybe purchase. (laughs) I don't know if they, if they can swing it financially, but, or how big masterclass it is, but um, that would be a very interesting kind of pocket, I think for, for future growth opportunities, I'm I'm going back to my competitive advantage. Um, And it's a big if, but if they can ingrain themselves as the go-to partner of these um, legacy universities and how they bring their content online and, and monetize it in new ways, I, I really think they're in the very early innings of signing on these um, these deep-pocketed clients, and I think that's going to be the primary driver of growth going forward. Now, do you guys think that they should go for more of – because it, it just when you're getting an education – uh, most of like, you know, like the Ivy League stuff, it's all about the brand, whatever recognition. Um, that's like the greatest certification for, you know, certain industries. Do you think they should try to go for more of the top level stuff or should they try to just have certifications for everyone? Because I just worry about diluting the value of a Coursera a certification, the larger they get. It seems like a problem that's going to occur. Well, so both. So they have like, they have that personal development category. So let's say they bought out like masterclass or something like that. That'd probably get bolted into the personal development stuff where you're trying to train skills. And then the yeah, certifications like, yeah. is really good for people that are trying to train a specific skill or right. you know, they want one specific trait on their resume, but the degrees are still through the universities. Coursera is just sort of the avenue to do that. That's the So what makes Coursera, what I just worry about what's, what's special about that. Well, I know it's only 10% of their business, but I mean, I don't they know. have to be the best, like they have to be the best partner for these universities. Right. That's how, that's the only way they can win. If they're, if they make the most sense as the vehicle for these universities going digital. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, I mean, it does like that flexible model. Um, if they're not, if the big universities aren't able to build sort of a flexible learning platform in house, even though uh, I know a lot of them have done it with a combination of like Zoom and Blackboard or Zoom and whatever the other one at Canvas, I think is the other one. Yeah. Um, this is the platform that not only does it, it's a student acquisition or customer acquisition, but it's also an easy learning platform that students can use. Yeah. All right. But I would say, I would say they need a content mix, a stable content mix going forward. I don't think they got to choose one path. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, they probably should just be doing everything. I'll hit mine as part of that. It's the enterprise. I think that's probably the most promising part here. Same has been growing rapidly and doing well since it launched in 2016. I forget the exact numbers, but it was really, really impressive revenue growth there. Um, you know, if a company is going to lock in with, with Coursera, they're not going to lock in with Coursera and then choose another one. They're just going to use them. 
especially if they have all the skills on there. feels like a potential Trojan horse, though, to the universities, which would be a good thing for Coursera. But I just worry about those relationships going forward. Where is this going to disrupt higher education? There's so many questions I have that, that I just don't know what the answers are. Quite accurate. So a lot of the a lot of the companies will use multiple service providers or really? multiple training programs. Yeah. They, so what makes it? And that's why Pluralsight has seventy percent of the Fortune five hundred companies, and uh, Coursera's got twenty five percent as well. It's so big companies can say, "All right, you go ahead and find the platform. We'll pay for it." All right. Well, that just feels like I don't know. I think that makes me feel like Coursera doesn't have a, uh, any sort of mode or competitive advantage. I don't know. Within enterprise, I would say Pluralsight is more Pluralsight's dominant. The, they're they were they're old. They're older. They have more of a market share. Yeah, I mean they they do. I want to say almost twice in revenue, but they just got acquired by Vista Equity Partners like less than a week ago. Oh, really? Uh, Pluralsight did. Yeah. Go Brad, ahead, Brad. Yeah, to me, it seems like their moat comes from how Teladoc built their moat because Teladoc is, is it operates in a very commoditized right. field, but they built this gigantic network of, of doctors and caregivers that that's how they differentiate themselves. And, and Coursera is not there yet. It needs to get there, I think, in order to really, uh, yeah, to succeed over the long term. Teladoc's kind of a good, yeah, yeah comparison. Uh, comparing it to the Teladoc model, I think is apt. Um, For what, sure. What about highlights and lowlights? Brad, you want to go first? Sure, I'll start with my lowlight. Uh, there were definitely COVID tailwinds. Um, I think... Yeah. Uh, an, an online learning platform certainly got a boost as as kids were as, as kids and, and and young adults were forced not to go to school. I think that's that, that's pretty a pretty safe bet. Um, and then the, my highlight would be is, is their private label approach. I really I sound like a broken record with this because that's what I hit on with Olo last week. But when the when the most valuable brand in the in the value chain is not you, I think it makes a lot of sense to not try and build your own brand and succeed there, but to build up the strongest players brands and, and, and to go about it that way. So, so their approach um, kind of reminds me of that. And it's something that I really can get behind. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I do. Yeah. That the OLO and Teladoc uh, comparisons, I think are pretty apt. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. I might, uh, I might give a little bit of pushback on the COVID tailwinds because they did get yes they obviously saw a boost but i think there might be sort of a delayed reaction to people saying you know what i don't need a traditional university like i think this maybe woke up uh, people have been complaining about college and raising prices and the cost of education for so long i think the i think covid might have woken people up to i can go elsewhere and get it and i think we're seeing that with the amount of uh, the 91 percent growth in students doing fully online degrees with Coursera. I mean, that makes, that makes sense to me too. I, I could see, I could see it going both ways, um, but it's going to be an interesting year for the company, I think for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, I might, yeah. I might be speculating there. Um, Again, I, I really, uh, I am just confused on this company. Like I, I have no, that's part that's my main low light really is that I, I see so many pat. I could see this being a zero or a hundred billion dollar company. I have no idea. Yeah, it. Uh, my highlight is that, uh, like a blended sort of flexible learning solution is definitely, I think, where education is heading. Uh, I also like Jeff, Jeff 
Maggie Oncalda. Uh, sorry if I'm not saying that right. I think yeah, tough. This, is a, this is a tough name day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I uh, watched a few interviews with him, uh, and he just seems bright. He seems like he's kind of on the ball. Uh, but my my concern is that there really isn't a ton of operating leverage yeah. um, in a business where you're licensing all the content. Um, it's very similar to Spotify, except Spotify had the best product and they dominate the market uh, in terms of consumers uh, or the amount of people on the What's well, the difference between Spotify is they have a moat? Well, clear moat, but that's a whole nother. This just feels more commoditized. Yeah. Um, I do think there are, are a lot of platforms out there that can do this. But with that said, I don't think there's that many that are offering full online degrees and have as good of a solution for individuals as Coursera does. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of mixed. Uh, Coursera, I don't think will be able to improve their take rate, but at the same time, 56% gross margins isn't terrible. Yeah, it's not a bad business. Um, They're spending a lot on sales and marketing right now, which should, eh, I don't know. Do you guys think that will come down? They because increased it feels it like, in 2020, which yeah. seems strange to me. But. Well, I think they're trying to go, you know, because they saw the opportunity. Okay. You know what I mean? But uh, do you guys think they'll, they'll it feels again, like maybe one of those businesses where sales and marketing is going to be perpetually high. And that can be a good thing for companies like Apple, Peloton, Nike. But for Coursera, it seems like an issue where they're going to be spending 20% of their revenue on sales and marketing in perpetuity. Potentially, but I can also see a best case scenario where they become sort of the platform to pick your courses, specializations, and yeah. then they can kind of peel that back after the sort of notoriety is there. Yeah. I don't know what that magic number is. Um, 77 million registered learners is a lot. seems like they could probably peel it back now. Yeah, but how many of those are active? I, I have no idea. So... I think that's like like a downloads versus use situation. Yeah, um, I could still be considered an active user and I haven't touched it in over a year. So it yeah. feels a bit to me like those Robin Hood numbers they pump out. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, we got so many downloads. Well, I haven't touched it in years, man. Uh, but uh, you have anything else, Brian? No. Okay, I'll hit mine. Um, I think there's, I mean, we all know there's a lot of potential for within the education industry for companies to try and do things. There's been a ton of failures over the last two decades to you. Stock went down 80% after I believe they lost some licensing. So that is a risk here. And that is kind of one of my lowlights too, where they could, they could have that. I don't remember the exact to you story, but their partners kind of screwed them over and it really hurt the company still around, but you know, stock got crushed. Um, and I do think the universities are classic, like innovators dilemma situation where they're, their current business model is so profitable that they're, unless you're like a good one, it seems like, yeah, there was some like UCLA was doing some solid things. There's been some colleges that have tried to expand for the digital age, but a lot of them I think are caught up in an innovator's dilemma situation that could leave some opportunity. Um, but low lights though, for me as an investor, I don't like dynamic industries. I like industries that uh, I don't, don't, don't change. Um, because it's a lot easier to predict. Uh, and I have no clear thoughts on who will be the winners in 10 years. And that's just, I don't know. And I, I struggle to find, we were trying to identify competitive advantages. I really struggled to, I just don't think they have a note. Uh, yeah. The but, values with the brands, the values with Harvard, not Coursera. Brad, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, on my competitive advantage relies on the fact that they can maintain this relationship with 
the, the party that actually does have the competitive advantage. So, so yeah, I think that's a good point that you're making. Yeah. And there is a, you could see a best case scenario where this is a much bigger company yes. and a lot of people go through them, yep. but there is also a, I mean, it's high variance. Like there could also be a very real scenario where this has become totally commoditized and there's a bunch of platforms. I mean, these are not exclusive partnerships with the universities. So universities could throw classes on other places. They do. Um, And I I guess more or less interested, Brad, do you want to go first? Um, Today, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested in the investment today just because of all the question marks and the, the, the proving that they have left to do. And because of the fact that as Brett mentioned, I mean, the TAM is gigantic. The opportunity is gigantic probably not $5 trillion, but it's probably not $1 trillion in five years either. So if this company can figure it out and they can become that go-to partner with the universities, even at 10, 15 billion in market cap in a few years down the line, I think once they prove all of these things that that I don't know if they're going to be able to prove, I still think that I'd, I'd be more comfortable starting the position then than today. Yeah, exactly. I w- if they can prove customer lock-in, I think there is some value there. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if in a decade we look back and be like, oh yeah, they're doing 10 billion in revenue, you know, but. Yeah. yeah but at the same time, I, I could see the exact opposite kind of future. And that's why yeah. it's, I like, I'm less interested because I like investments where I have a general idea or I can predict with some level of certainty where a company will be after five years. Yeah, it's a classic Bezos quote, right? That's his, right? Where we want to identify what things are going to be the same in 10 years, and then we're going to invest into those. Yeah, and so I, I don't know where Coursera will be, and then you throw on uh, a 20 times sales, it makes it that much easier to discard. Yeah, true. The valuation is high. It seems like these companies, I, I don't know. The price in like the best if, case scenario. Yeah, you're pricing in the best case scenario. I just, and there's also concern about if they get big enough, then, because the only reason you're getting skill certification, stuff like this, going to Harvard is for your personal brand differentiation when trying to go to employers. If everyone's on Coursera, yeah, that'd be great. But then it's, it just feels like the bigger they get, the more commoditized it gets, unless they're partnering with the brands and then the value is with Harvard, not with Coursera, I just, there's a lot that can go wrong here. And that's why I'm less interested too, especially with that valuation. I very, think, very steep. I think there are a lot of people on Coursera that are just literally doing it to, yeah. to get smarter like yeah. to, because yeah. they're perpetual yeah. learners uh, and you can get free financial courses from Yale, Yale professors or whatever. Um, but yeah, if you're still taking Coursera courses because it's a cheaper way to access uh, a school with a really, really good reputation. Doesn't that tell you where the value lies in yeah. the education system? Yeah. And I guess we're harping on this and it's only 10% of their revenue. So I guess, you know, the other part, well, but the other courses are offered through the institution. Oh, oh, that, that 10% number you had was that's just full degrees. Oh, like okay. The okay. Consumer revenue. Let's say I pick a specialization from Harvard or I don't know if Harvard's on here. Uh, like the Wharton. Yeah. You can pay for that. 39 or $99 a month, but that a portion of that, I think it's 37% still goes to Penn. 
And again, if everyone starts doing this, it's not differentiated. The only reason you're paying for this is one, you know, to learn the skills. And if you're learning the skills, that's great, but that's a bit of a commodity. And the only reason you're using that is, you know, instead of YouTube is, uh, or Khan Academy is that sometimes it's difficult and, you know, you need a professor to guide you, but if everyone's, yeah, this is a, it, better, it, this, it, this is a it, better platform for learning than YouTube, I'd say, but yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, it's just, I don't know, uh, maybe we're, I don't know. I, I just, it there's a lot wrong. of questions here. Totally could be wrong. Easily could see this as being a hundred billion dollar company, but I guess, yeah, we don't want to talk about that forever. I think we kind of closed the loop. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> uh, you have the stock for next week, right? Yeah, I do. Brad, you had it last week, right? So it's, it's my turn. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with coupon. Oh, uh, pronounced. Uh, you might, uh, it's pronounced coupon, but it looks like coupon. It's the South Korean Amazon. Very oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How do you say it? It's not coupang. It's coupon. Coupon, I think. Oh, okay. Good to know. I'm just taking it because I've already read the S1. So giving <laughs> myself a little, a little cheat there. But uh, right. yeah, it should be exciting for next week. Um, as always, make sure to check out potential multi baggers. No promo code for us, but check it out. They're running deals sometimes and seeking alpha. So you can, you know, help it out and maybe get that at a discount. But either way, there's a lot of value from. Uh, Chris at from growth to value as the name implies. Thank you all for listening to this episode. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. I will guess it might not be Coursera after our <laughs> the not, not being too excited about this company. But either way, let's wrap things up. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. 